This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Tech Talk this morning. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with uh, Jeremy Chu. He's the founder and CEO of Box Studios, an independent game development studio based in Malaysia. Uh, they're all about good fun and games, driven by a group of passionate and creative individuals who constantly push the boundaries of the gaming industry. The studio is committed to growing local and international gaming ecosystems between players and developers. And since its inception in 2008, Ammobox Studios has constantly leveraged tech and expertise to foster healthy competition, growth, and opportunities for collaboration in the ever-dynamic landscape of video games. Uh, They have won uh, a list of uh, achievements and accolades, Tencent's GWB Award for Best Strategy Game, the NVIDIA Edge Award, recipients of the Epic Dev Grant. They've also been named one of the top 10 game developers in Southeast Asia uh, by Media Buzz. And with uh, gaming revenue in Malaysia projected to reach 402 million US dollars, um, our friend Jeremy here is now also an advocate for greater funding and learning opportunities to grow talent in the local video game industry. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Thanks for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. How are you this morning? Good, good. Good. This morning is great. This morning is great. It's nice and sunny. Not a bad day. Um, let, let's rewind then, Jeremy. And um, as I said to you outside the studio, um, there are some things me and you have in common, right? Uh, apart from both being very handsome, um, <laughs> we, we have absolutely right. Absolutely right. We have. Uh, we, we started as I'm guessing young men being involved in things, uh, all, all video games, modding video games on PC on one thing or another. Uh, and so I, I feel like a, a bit of a kindred spirit is, is with me here in the studio. Um, how long have you been involved in that? You mean in modding? Yeah. So uh, I, I, I grew up uh, with computers in my early age, uh, I guess maybe like standard six mm-hmm. or, you know, actually it's before that, maybe standard two, standard three, my... my uh, my family have like a home PC and we, we do play a lot of video games on it, you know, and parents have to chase us around to let them don't play games so much. It's like the, <laughs> the kind of a typical cliche, right, in the yeah. early 90s. But what got me really tinkering was that uh, I, I realized that in certain games that you can actually have this like level editor or something and you can make your own content, mm-hmm. like which is uh, what is more commonly known as modding. Mm. Uh, but what really changed the game was that uh, one day I got one of these, uh, you know, back then we used to have magazines with like CDs at the end. I do. And there was this CD that was actually being sold. <laughs> it's not even free. Uh, I don't know how I got a copy of it that, uh, and it has like a modding tool for this game called Doom. Yes. Which is like a uh, pretty... I would say uh, not very mainstream in terms of the modding itself. Mm. So I kind of got into it like, hey, you, you know, you can actually edit uh, tools. You can actually edit the games. And it wasn't for Doom, actually. It was for this game called Heretic, which is like using the same engine as Doom. Mm. And it blew my mind thinking that, hey, these two games actually share the same tools, the same engine, right? And then I got like, wow, this is really interesting. So, mm. you know, I, I got a little bit more in it. And uh, as the tech progresses, you know, it got a lot of interest from that. Mm. But I guess that's how it all started. Just an interest in tinkering, you know, and finding yeah, out how something exactly. works. Uh, yeah, I mean, now, um, what do you think recently have been the most 
significant technological advancements or train, uh, trends shaping the future of game development. I mean, right now, the thing on everybody's tongues is uh, artificial intelligence, uh, yep, yep. particularly chat GPT, mid-journey, all of these things happening right now. Uh, but we're also looking at, um, well, let, let, let's just deal with those things first. I mean, and how are those being incorporated, do you think, in, into the uh, game uh, arena? Okay, that's actually a very interesting talk like, uh, in regards to AI because there seems to be a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of buzz on it and mm. it's, it's, it's very interesting. But one thing I want to uh, be aware of new technology is that uh, something that I've noticed is that uh, whatever you see in the first generation is never going to be the thing that is the most practical. Like you look at the internet first generation, yeah. you talk about bulletin boards and all this, but it's not one of those things that's going to stick for a really, really long time. Uh, I think uh, when it comes to like, AI and all these AI tools like uh, text, uh, we like, visual generators and all this chat GPT what we're looking now is like maybe the very early generation mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. it evolves to eventually is going to be something that we probably can't imagine mm. but uh, at this point of time I see these tools uh, not as a job replacement I think it's a very cliche battle now on like whether the AI is coming for your job you know when it comes yeah. to games development uh, it's a bit special because games it's a very very adaptive thing mm. Well, generally, tech changes very fast. But in games, it changes even even faster, you know, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to all these tech things, I think it's it's very good as an assistant. Uh, there's already being a lot of... Uh, so what we hear about ChatGPT, it's about you can ask it silly questions, you know, and then get... But what we're not hearing about ChatGPT is the plugins. Right. There are now uh, ChatGPT plugins into like Visual Studio that helps yep. you refactor your codes. Uh, I think that's where the real gold is. Uh, so you use it as an assistant to your work so that you can work even more efficiently. Mm. So I. So you, you, you've done your own code. It's not quite working correctly. And you're like, instead of calling over your, your manager or whoever to check through your code, you can run it through chat yeah. GPT and I, double I check. It, it, the best analogy, it's like, you know, autocorrect? Yeah. Like you never actually go to a dictionary, you just right click and you just correct. It, it's a little <laughs> bit like that, I guess. It becomes an assistant. But nobody ever says that autocorrect actually makes you don't know how to spell it. Maybe there's a little bit of truth in that. <laughs> no, I, I, I get where you're coming from, though. But does this, this kind of worry you a little bit that, okay, right now we're not in the space where it's going to replace anybody's job. So we, we're in agreement on that. Yeah. But does it worry you long term that the work and the effort that you guys put in, and I know it's a lot of hours, I know it's a lot of work, um, does it worry you or maybe does it make you think it's going to make us more efficient? I I I don't know. It, does, it doesn't worry me so much. I I I'm more excited with the prospect. I I actually am. I I'm not just saying. I agree. Politically correct. <laughs> it's very exciting because why why it doesn't worry me because I always think that the task change. Mm. Like back then when you do three D modeling, how you do it in nineteen ninety nine, how you do it in two thousand and nine, yeah. how you do it in twenty nineteen, right? It changes, but it's still the person doing it. You see. Mm -mm. Well. People will say that, oh, well, AI is like a whole new different thing. It may be, it may be not, but I guess we'll cross the river when it comes to it. All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk a, a, about Amabox and, and how things are changing now. And I'm, we're not talking about AI or, or whatever, but the, the, the last couple of years in particular, uh, yeah. we've seen, um, I, I guess, a, a rise in, in mobile games, you know, mobile first games, you know. How has your studios adapted to that? And has that become a priority for you guys? So I, I think mobile games, uh, 
it, it, it went through a full cycle. Really. The craze was, uh, in my opinion, back in 2008, 2009, where there was this iBeer app, remember? Yes, yes. And that kind of uh, driven <laughs> the whole face of like uh, premium purchase. People are saying, wow, you can make an app like that and make a million dollars overnight. Yeah. Uh, that was the era. And then the free-to-play era. But I, I think now it's the other way around. It's kind of swinging back to, 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 to PC. A lot of uh, big developers are now uh, going to PC. But mobile, it's, it, it's still definitely growing. Mm. But it's, it's changing from like hyper-casual, casual to, to like mid-core. Mm. But then I heard now it's switching back to hyper-casual. So there's like this oscillating wave of like now they're doing this, now they're doing not, now they're mm. doing this. So it's, it's ever-changing. But for us, uh, we... I mean, Ammo Box Studios has always been very focused on a PC console type of game, uh, more one, one of those uh, sit-down sessions kind of game yeah, rather than yeah. mobile. We have a couple of mobile games for clients. We also actually launched one mobile game before back then, but uh, it's not really uh, our focus, but it's more to preference things, mm. nothing to do with commercial. There are a lot of very successful uh, mobile games out there, but... It's just like our team's focus is a lot more on PC. And I'm guessing, you know, your love of stuff started with PC and, and continues with PC, I guess. Yeah, you, <laughs> you could say that. You could say that. But I think it's, it's the options of uh, options of games that you can build on PC and mobile is quite different. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is, is AR and VR, and, and that's, that's a big thing <laughs> as well. And, and it's been discussed. And just a couple of years ago, VR was supposed to be the big thing, you know, a metaverse yep. was supposed <clears throat> to be the big thing. And I'm guessing if uh, Mark Zuckerberg would have his way, we'd all be sat in the metaverse right now. Uh, <laughs> doing this interview. Doing this interview world. and playing video games, you know. How do you feel about that, though? I mean, how do you feel about VR being this thing that people suggest we should be involved with right now? I mean, I, I look at it and I've tried it and I, and I don't feel as though it's something that I would want to commit to as of yet. What what's your thoughts? So, so VR is very interesting. Back in 2014, we we tried the the early early Oculus. Uh, oh, it was nauseating, man! You could never forget yeah. the level of nausea. Uh, I feel that back then uh, we didn't want to go into VR because uh, we felt that VR was still way too expensive for the mass market, and it's one of those things where you still have to pay like a thousand thousand five hundred dollars back then. Uh, no more now. Mm. <laughs> that uh, but that's just for the display device, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then you need to get a PC which yeah. is like very very powerful, and then you end up paying like three four thousand like USDs, right, to get yeah. like a like a very powerful machine so we, we really felt that maybe it's not the time and there's still a lot of fragmentation when it comes to the input systems how are you controlling the characters mm. uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't taken off in the mass market uh, I, I'm not particularly an expert in this but I see that uh, it, it's still not it doesn't reach the mass market yet and yeah. then but right now, there's a second wave, I believe, because right now we are talking about those uh, untitled version with no wires, like we're talking about Quest 2. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about, I think Pico was one of the, yeah. the China brands. So I think there's a second wave now because there's a lot more uh, streamlining. Everything is streamlined into one device, mm, mm. Uh, one spec, and it's mm. easier for developers to develop for it. So mm. I think uh, it may begin to change in the next... I mean, we're seeing a lot more competition, you yeah. know, because there's more competition. It means we have more options and yes, therefore yes. prices are coming down, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, now, obviously, you're, you're a Malaysian-based game developer. Yep. Um, what challenges does that bring, you know, being Malaysian-based? You know, is there specific challenges that you have here that perhaps might not exist in, in Singapore or, or Vietnam or, or Thailand or any other country in Southeast Asia? What is specific to Malaysia that raises challenges for you guys? Okay, that, that's a very interesting question because uh, when I first started MLBox, right, it's, uh, it's because I couldn't find a studio to join. Right. And I was like, 
hey, I want, I really wanted to build games. But there were a lot of outsource studios back then. But there were a couple of uh, IP studios. Uh, but it's just that there's there's uh, there's no games job that I really could get into. So I started off the studio. So so the challenge, uh, I think it's also one of those evolving things. Uh, in the early days, the challenge was really into getting talents, right? Uh, talents as in like this very hard to find good engineers mm, when mm. you talk about engineers like uh, programmers and all these artists it's like maybe a little bit more uh, talents is one of the thing uh, and obviously funding as well is another thing so it's very hard to get local funding because the the, the dollar no our, our currency strength is just not big enough for international play yeah. like software hardware and all this it's, it's very international based uh, but when it comes to funding from international from foreign source uh, it's also because they, they wouldn't want to invest in a region that has not developed any game. So you get into this thing where, uh, you you know, our region haven't done any quality games and it's very hard to raise funds from there. And because it's very hard to raise funds from there, you know, it's very hard to build something that's like of a serious budget. Mm. So which is why when we build our first flagship, we kind of have to bootstrap it and we took a really, really long time. It's like a, a tremendously long time. Like our first flagship IP was built like 10 years ago, you know, when we first uh prototype the concept and it only take us like 10 years wow. to actually have the game actually out the door being shipped because you know we, we have to go through all that crazy path mm. so if, if you were looking for funding and you were looking for help you know is that available nowadays I mean that was started like you say that was yeah, 10 years ago correct. is it available now so uh, talents are getting way better now because uh Graduates, we have more games programs now on mm. university, mm. thankfully. Mm. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of rooms for improvements. Uh, it's definitely much better on the talent aspect. I think funding is also a little bit more better because, uh, like, thanks to like our organizations like MDAG and all this have highlighted a lot of like, hey, this region is mm. not bad. You know, we've done a lot of good works, but still we lack one area, which is uh, if you're talking about like uh, big, serious, hardcore games like first-person shooters, real-time yeah. strategies, like. How many, how many titles are coming out from here? So the, the investor confidence is still not... So a crazy story, right? So a couple of years ago, I went to uh, San Francisco for Games Connection and uh, one, one of the publishers that we pitched to really like what we're doing, they're like, wow, I, I can't believe that you guys in this region came out of this with such a small team. Back then, we were a team of like six people and they're like... Uh, I remember this phrase very, very clearly. They said, uh, investing in your region is kind of a risk for us because this region is not known to be building many premium, high-quality games. And, and that really, like, like wow, it, it blew my mind. Like, oh, that's wow. it. Uh, we have good stuff. We already executed, but uh, it's considered a risk. So I kind of understood it better after that. Mm. Yeah, so that's that. the challenge of that is still there. How did that make you feel when they said that to you? Oh, wow, that, that was like, uh, I don't know what to feel about it, to be honest. I was like, wow, just you're basically saying is that you're not worth investing or like uh, to collaborate with because you're just born in the wrong part of the world, right? Right. But again, uh, I don't want to look at it in negative. There's a certain aspect of truth there. They, they could be like, we don't want to be the first person to make a mistake there, right? So I, I understand where that guy is coming from, but it, mm. it's it's really annoying, you know, as an yeah. entrepreneur for people to say, you've done everything, right? but because you're from that region, haha, I'm not doing anything with you. Are but you? But I see where this person is coming from. Mm. It's like, I don't know why there's no good games out there. I don't want to find out with my dollars, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's take a short break. Sure. Uh, folks, I'm in the studio with uh, Jeremy Chu. He's the founder and CEO of Ammo Box Studios, an independent game development studio based here in Malaysia. Uh, they're all about having uh, good fun and good games uh, driven by a group of passionate and creative individuals. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
Bold, fearless Malaysians. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Tech Talk this morning. I'm in the studio with Jeremy Chu, the founder and CEO of Ammo Box Studios. Um, they've got a whole bunch of achievements and accolades. Tencent's GWB Award for Best Strategy Game, the NVIDIA Edge Award, recipients of the Epic Dev Grant, a whole bunch of other stuff. And we know that uh, gaming revenue in Malaysia is projected to reach around 402 million US dollars. They're an independent game studio. Uh, Jeremy, we we, we kind of spoke through uh, some of our frustrations uh, just before the break there. Uh, some of us rather more uh, passionately than others. Uh, now, um, I want to speak to you about um, making sure, I mean, because technology, as we've discussed, advances so very, very quickly, uh, and especially in the gaming space. How do you constantly make sure that the work that you produced is optimized well enough to want, uh, to work across multiple platforms because I know that you can download a game on Monday and by Wednesday a, a patch has been released and maybe Thursday, Friday there's another patch being released. How do you constantly stay ahead of the curve of that? So I, I have to say that we're guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> we have an update a couple of days after it's released. But um, I think ha having that said, uh, having said that, uh, it's a privilege to be able to release updates in such a short span of time because right. we, we have a much closer relationship between developers and players compared to like decades ago. Yeah. But how going back to how do we... Uh, I, I guess there's no, there's no short answer to that, but it's all in being better at what you're doing, being more efficient and being uh, a step up of what you do. You know, in MLBox, we always believe one thing. Uh, it's in, in in the principle of excellence. What does it mean by principle of excellence? It's not about how good you are, but it's about how how much better you are than what you are last year. Okay. So it's about being better and better in what you do and don't be complacent. Uh, mm. Don't don't settle for mediocrity. Mm. You know, we must always be able to look back and say, hey, I was this good last year. How do I get better? So uh, it's all in, in the engineering aspect. I think good games development engineering side, it's still something that's very, very uh, rare in, in, in Malaysia. So we've always want to improve ourselves uh, to build better quality games. And also to keep up to date to, to the latest tech and don't be afraid to like deep dive into things that you're not comfortable with. Uh, is something that we've constantly challenged ourselves. Let me ask you a question, uh, and, and you, you may be able to answer this, or I'm, I'm hoping you can answer this. When we were younger, right, um, when you bought a game and you took that game home, chances are that game was entirely finished. You know, you, you didn't need patches, you didn't need <clears throat> add-ons or whatever. When did that change? When did it become something different? W was that when the internet became available for all, or... Did something else happen that I was unaware of? I think the two factor is definitely internet is the logistics factor, right? But internet is not uh, an all you know uh, the all encompassing reason why mm. that's happening. The other reason that's happening it's about community. So back then, right, we don't have such thing as a development. We don't have such thing as a as a as a like a, like a game communities. Right. Like we don't have such thing as Steam. We don't yeah. have such thing as update delivery system. And it's about developer acknowledging that the problem exists. So I've heard I've heard the cliche a lot of times. What you say about like hey back then games are complete right there's actually two uh there's a grain of truth in there they are much more complete but there's also another perspective to it so back then right when we were young we used to play games and when it was buggy we tend to ignore it yeah 
right? You realize, right? Uh, climbing mountains in Skyrim kind of jumps to mind as well, you know. Yeah, but horse. I was talking about this, this DOS yeah, platformer era. Even kind back of then, yeah, yeah. So back sure. then, right, when there were bugs, right, people, we laugh at it. And we yeah, are yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. look at that, like, yeah, it's yeah. broken. And then we yeah. just kind of live with it. And yeah. the bugs would stay on for years, you know. Yeah. They just don't, don't get about it. But today, we are like, we, we complain them until it gets fixed. So, mm. uh, but I think it's also like the, 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 the complexity of things are in, in magnitudes greater than how games are back then. Mm. And in any software, they, they will be bound to some form of bugs. So that's another factor. And the other factor is because today we have games as a service kind of thing. Mm. The games itself change from season to season, month to month. And with changes, also bugs get introduced, mm, mm. right? So the games are no longer as static as back then. Mm. Back then, it's really, really static one piece thing. So yeah, that's, that's the multiple factors that Okay. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of happy with the answer. I'll take that. Okay. Okay. So, the next question then is, you know, the relationship that you have with um, stakeholders. So we're talking about, you know, publishers, um, tech providers, platform holders. How difficult has it been for you to to build relationships with these guys? Um, and what do you think is for, for somebody or a, a group of people who may be wanting to open their own studios? What advice mm-hmm. would you give them? Oh, when it comes to relationship with publishers? Yeah, publishers and the platform providers and, you know. Right. Uh, so I, I need to say this first. We have never actually signed on to any big publishing label yet. So oh, wow. I may not be able to give you a very close. We have always been very indie. very. So uh, I, I don't know whether you, you have our name came up in any of your uh, research. So in, in 2018, we went with a UK publisher, a very, very small publisher. And the publisher actually uh, sort of like, absconded with all our money it no. disappeared and it, it, we, we became a small uh, news on the we were on PC Gamer Games Industry Base, and the reason was because uh, we had to DMCA our own title yeah. to, and we were one of the very first few developers probably one of the first to actually DMCA our own title I did not so know that we, we don't have like uh, we don't have a good template answer to that <laughs> but, um, but, but I think but that's a good point to make you know that you, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, so we, we, we made that early mistake of uh like we're going with a small publisher that uh, wasn't really, really, really. We are like, wow, what's the worst could happen, right? You could just give them a performance, performance-based contract. If it doesn't work, then you'll just terminate, you know. And we didn't expect the person to just basically just ghosted us, right? Mm. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of caveats when it comes to that, lah. But uh, if I were to like summarize it into one small advice to give to uh, small developers that are looking for a publisher, is that uh, I, I I would guess. You you have to you have to build a relationship, build a network, know who's the who first, uh, but don't jump into any first deal that comes along mm-hmm. the way. Because back then we were like we, we just needed a publisher. It doesn't matter who, and that's like a very bad mentality. Mm. Self publishing is a possibility. Uh, is it easier nowadays to self publish? I think it was easier a couple of years ago, but it kind of make a different turn now because of of how uh, of how accessible games are. And because of that, there are a lot more games in the market. There's a lot more saturation. Mm. So now the kind of, uh, the, 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 I would say, the advantage kind of swing back to a publisher because they have the power to like blitz the media Mm-mm. in a lot more different channels. So I guess maybe it's a little bit harder than what it is six, seven years ago, but mm. it's still doable. But my point is that the option is always there and don't just go for like, hey, I've got a publisher, so just say yes. Mm. I guess that's that's one of the takeaway points. Due diligence is an important thing then. Clearly. Yeah, but it's, it's not just due diligence. So back then when we, when we sign on to this publisher we did our due diligence we know who this person is this person was interviewed by gamesindustry.b so I guess well a bit of a attraction uh, this person has previous titles but what I didn't realize was this like uh, is this person big enough right 
for us to put a legal action on mm. if he does something to us. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we are like, yeah, it's like, it's a legit person, but if he disappears, there's nothing we can do about it. Right. Okay, and I, I, I guess I've got a couple uh, questions just to ask before I wrap up. Uh, and one of them, we kind of briefly touched on it earlier on, is, is that now there seems to be, you know, uh, a better quality of developer coming out. Uh, younger people are more interested in video games. and uh, But do you think that there's enough involvement from uh, the government and from educational uh, institutions to help push this industry forward? I mean, we're talking about a heck of a lot of money over the next few years in the gaming industry. You're looking at esports being something huge. It's already something huge, but much, much bigger over the next few years. Do you think the government's helping out enough? So uh, that is a, another, you asked a lot of good questions, Richard. I have to say that. So uh, I have a lot to say about those. So I think the government is doing really, really good job now in uh, making Malaysia as one of the hub. We got mm. a very good, uh, I would say, a developer conference every year called Level Up. And MDEC, the guys behind it, was driving it really, really well. Yeah. They bring in like international publishers, international developers, and they have built like a mini uh, develop, you know, game developers conference. It's like the big one in, yeah. in the world called GDC. We, I've always tell people we build our own mini GDC in Malaysia. Uh, and I think they did a great job there. But I think it's it's just not enough being only MDAC pushing it. Uh, there are just a lot of little, little things. That, let me give you an example, right? Like when you, when you open an account in bank, they will ask you what industry you're from, right? Right. And if you click and you see, like, don't even talk about games. Even games, animation, the entire basket is not even there. Mm. But you know what's there? Gaming. Right. But not the games game, right? When it says gaming, it's like sports gaming, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like... Um, if this is a serious industry, this is a next-gen kind of industry, right? Like, why is this entire industry not even in the basket of categories in a lot of different forms and all these things? Mm -hmm. So it goes to show that uh, a lot of industries actually tend to ignore this whole thing as a basket. I don't know what, what it takes for them to point at it. We talk about like how many hundreds and millions and how many billions of it in, in the growth and all this, right? But it seems that a lot of the supporting industries just not seeing it. So uh, I think there needs to be a lot more attention to this industry. Do you think it's a case of old school thinking? You know, and we, we've, I'm guessing, been um, a part of this culture when we were kids as well. Our parents may or may not have said, you're wasting too much time playing video games, you know? And that for a long time was the topic of discussion, right? I, I know my parents for a fact yeah, yeah, came from that generation, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, do you think that that might be part of it? They don't really see it yet uh, because it's not been revealed to them. I, I guess so. I, I guess so. That's one of the reasons. Uh, but it's, it's a lot a lot to do with like uh, when an industry makes a lot of money, then people start to say, hey, you know what? It's legit. It's legit. Like you talk about sports gaming and all this. I mean, nobody nobody tell their kids when you grow up, I want you to be in, in, in what industry, this industry, that industry. But it's still there because we know we, the, we know how much money it makes, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe if we have like our own blizzard in Malaysia, then we'll be right. like, oh, you know what? Let's support this industry now because mm -hmm. now there's a giant here. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it has to do with that, probably. Because uh, even parents nowadays who are not... Uh, who are not very encouraging of their children to play games, they recognize that games, it's like an industry from medias and all these, they read Fortnite or whatever, mm. right? But uh, maybe they just don't connect that, hey, my kids could actually be making games. They could be part of the industry, not just mm. as a player. The disconnect is there, is it? Mm -hmm. Jeremy, thank you for your time this morning. Yep. 
Great chat. Uh, folks, I've been in the studio with Jeremy Chu. He's the founder and CEO of Ammo Box Studios. They are an independent game development studio based here in Malaysia. They're all about having uh, good fun and games driven by a group of passionate and creative individuals who constantly push the boundaries of the gaming industry. The studio is committed to growing local and international gaming ecosystems between players and developers. If you missed any part of the show, go and download the podcast. It's available from the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Tech Talk this morning here on BFM, I'm Rich Bradbury. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 